Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of The Jerry Lawler Show here on Podcast One. Thanks so much for the download. My name is Sean Reedy. Hope you're enjoying your Thanksgiving weekend. You can follow us on Twitter at Lawler Show. Follow my co-host at Jerry Lawler, also on Facebook and Instagram at Lawler Show. But I am so excited and privileged for the show today. It's not only as I am I being joined by the king of wrestling, as always, Jared the King Lawler, but we also have his raw play-by-play co-host, Vic Joseph. We've got the raw announce team here, and we wanted to uh, kind of introduce Vic to people who aren't as familiar with him as he has shown up, uh, had a really meteoric rise in the last couple of years years in wwe so welcome to the show everybody well thank you it's great to be here and welcome vic well thanks king i mean it's a it's an honor when king asked me to be on i was i couldn't say yes fast enough i felt you know like a kid on prom night when he asked me that so i was ready to jump right in well you know what's really cool about this is the fact that i'm, I'm just sitting here listening to sean you introduced vic and i as the raw announced team and i've been doing this for a long long time uh, of course, with uh, multiple different hosts, but more, you know, more frequently with good old JR and then with then with Michael Cole. But I can say that uh, there's never been a time when the entire Raw announced team was on a podcast together. So this is this is a first. Yeah, that's pretty. You know what else is the first? It's the first time the Raw announced team has been all Cleveland Browns fans. That is a <laughs> you're right about that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, tell everybody you actually. King. Yeah, exactly. We're breaking barriers. You, uh, Vic, you're you're from Cleveland, right? Yeah, uh, born and raised in Cleveland. Uh, maybe less than 15 minutes from Old Municipal Stadium, and now is known as First Energy Stadium in downtown Cleveland, right off I-77. So uh, I've lived here. I'm I'm still here. Uh, it's my home. Sean, I want you to realize, and I want everybody to out there to know. So I, I'm excited about doing this podcast today with Vic because. I, I would think a lot of people probably think that, hey, you know, here's King and Vic Joseph, and they're all of a sudden big buddies and podcast uh, on the podcast here, and and they probably already are are big buddies in real life, uh, you know, outside the WWE. But the truth of the matter is, Vic, you you and I are just kind of really getting to know each other on the fly on on the show, right? And that's what's kind of fun about it, King, because you're 100 percent right. Um, you know, listen for everyone that's listening to this podcast and has been a fan of Jerry Lawler. Everyone knows the credentials and everyone knows the Hall of Fame background and whether it's been on the commentary table, whether it's been just being an entertaining act or or being in the ring, he's always succeeded. You've always been one of the best kings. And I've told you when I first met you, your voice was, you know, that defined and narrated my childhood of watching (laughs) the the Monday Night Wars. And I said, and that's not, you know, BS. I literally told that to King and um, you know, to be able to work with you the first time I really got to sit down and talk to you, it, it's been a, it's been a growing process. And that's what the fun part about this is on, on Mondays is people are always thinking, you know, in the internet community, oh, all this stuff is set up and, and they talked beforehand. I can assure you that King and I really don't talk heavily <laughs> about the show before we go out there. Whether that's don't talk heavily. We don't even talk at all, do we? <laughs> yeah, it was so when when I see when I, I see him in catering, I might talk to him a little bit. We might text during the week about the Browns. Um, now we both found out that we're big big fans of Kiss, so that'll be something new we throw into the wrinkle. And we've driven a loop one time uh, from city to city, so a lot of it is learning on the fly and the and the personalities and what one person likes to do opposed to what one person doesn't like to do. And I think if you go back and 
talk about the chemistry and you listen early on, I was talking a little bit too much because I wasn't comfortable and I have to trust King. And so I do trust Jerry because Jerry has helped me tremendously, not just in the last you know week or so or from the first time I main evented a pay-per-view, which was uh, Hell in a Cell, but really since the first time we started working together. Each week I start to understand what he likes to do in certain situations, and that makes me more comfortable because it takes the pressure off of my shoulders. So as much as you guys thank me for coming on the podcast, uh, King, I can't thank you enough for helping me in my short tenure so far on uh, Monday Night Raw. Well, uh, well, I appreciate that. And it, you're, I mean, very, you've been very, very easy to work with. It's been, it's been a, a pleasure. It's never, we've never had, we've never had a crossword where I would, you know, we've cut the microphones off and go, what the heck did you say that for? And, you know, we've never had a problem like that at all. And, and I think, you know, I, I've said this before and I used to say it all the time uh, when I was with, with JR, especially, I don't ever think about myself as being an, an announcer or a commentator. I always think of myself as I, I still can't help it. I think of myself as a as a wrestler and a wrestling fan. And I promise you that when I go out there and I sit down next to Vic and we start watching the show, I always tried to do this with the JR and it just happened so naturally and with Michael Cole as well. I just try to look at it as, hey, I'm sitting here with my next door neighbor. We're in our den and we're watching we're watching a wrestling show and we're going to talk about it. We're, we're talking as we watch the show. And, you know, that's why I. I know I'm not uh, great with statistics and knowing all the, the history of everybody and all of that stuff, but I just, you know, I, I just speak from, from what I feel when I'm watching the matches. And that's, that's another thing, you know, I don't ever want to know uh, in advance what's going on. I don't even know who's going to, I don't even like to know who's going to be wrestling each other on the show beforehand I, because I want to, I want to watch the show just like the fans watch the show. And I want to be able to react, hopefully like the fans are reacting or how they're thinking, you know, so that's how I've always approached this business. And so far it's, it's kind of worked out for me. I've always thought that, you know, the show is, the show is, is world wrestling entertainment. And I've always thought any part every part of the show should be entertaining. I look at it as, as the commentators, if no one on social media, or none of the boys or no one in the office is talking about you and you're doing a good job. And it's when someone's calling you out or going on social media, hammering one thing and, you know, not just like four or five people, but you know, 4,000 people, you know, that's when it's kind of like, Oh, maybe I did something wrong, but that's, that's a, that's a great way. I never thought of it that way until you said it and it really resonated with me was as long as we're doing our job and we don't hear anything, I think we're 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 we're, we're flying by. We're getting an A an A plus. That was a, a little bit of the same philosophy through the years. Like when I'm when I've been wrestling all these years, and I'll be in a match. Well, one of the most important people in the match, but of course, uh, is is the referee. But the you know if if you go through an entire match and the people don't even realize there was a referee in there. Then he's done his really he's done his job well, you know. So and I think that's you're right. That's sort of like uh, that's sort of the role that we play. You know, on the other hand, I love for the fans to give us feedback. I love to, uh, you know, I you and I both, you know, you know, this is true. We have our phones right there while we're doing the show. We check Twitter during, uh, you know, during the commercial breaks. And I love to hear like if I if I throw out a good one liner, I, I love the people to all of a sudden start tweeting out. Oh, my gosh, did you hear what the king just said? You know, that kind of thing. So if you're out there and you're watching the show, just know that uh, if you hear something that you like, we don't, we, you know, we don't, we don't mind hearing about that. If you hear something you don't like, 
Keep your mouth shut. Should we address right off the bat that you had a tremendous line this week that the internet didn't understand, like 99%? Yeah, well, you know what? Sometimes, uh, and this this is because we, on purposely now, Vic and I, I mean, Vic does a ton of preparation for the show, a ton, all day long he's sitting there, but Vic and I don't prepare for the show together. And I do that purposely. I almost try to avoid him during the day because of what I just said earlier. I want I want our reactions to everything that we see and everything that happens on the show. I want it to be sincere. I want it to be real. So uh, so we I don't get together and talk about what we're going to do. So sometimes if I if an idea comes in my head or I know I'm going to try to do a one liner that I'll need Vic to, um, you know, to help me out with to sort of set me up or something. Sometimes I'll just jot down a note on our format sheet like this. This happened this past week. And I know and have to forgive Vic on something. Some of these things, because I should get down on myself, because I'm just assuming that Vic is going to know what I'm talking about when I give him some kind of obscure little jot down message. Right. Like to, and what you're talking about this past week was I just had it in my mind about when Charlotte came out and we were talking about how uh, Charlotte Flair came out. We were talking about how, you know, everybody's kind of down on the the performance that the Raw roster had at Survivor Series. So I, I just remembered this old joke where where uh, I was going to say, you know, right now, Charlotte's dad, Ric Flair, is looking down on her right now. And I written real quick, just like, all I, what did I write, Rick? All I wrote was, Ric Flair's yeah, not dead. Rick, Rick, Ric Flair's not dead. And I just looked at it and looked at you, and I, and I kind of like <laughs> – Looked at you and, you and you just nodded at me like, do it. I was like, so yeah. whenever King does that, I always know that my tone shouldn't be overexcited. It shouldn't be down. It should be kind of like <laughs> King. I mean, you know, it's like a sarcastic yeah. comeback to King so he can hit his one line. Yeah, I didn't set him up. And so he really didn't know how he should respond because it was such a crazy note that I wrote. Rick Flair's <laughs> not dead, right? <laughs> and I just did it real quick because I needed that line to help me with the, with the one line. Of course, then I said, you know, Rick Flair, dad's looking down on her and of course he said well wait a minute Rick Flair's not dead and I said yeah but he's very condescending great joke <laughs> you, to you is a great joke but I think to 99% of the people I'm not going to say it went over their head but it just didn't it didn't resonate the way that I that I had hoped it was or this maybe some well, people just didn't get it well I can tell you the 1% that that the other 1% to your 99 were on Twitter bashing me for making a reference of Ric Flair being dead, which kind of made me laugh as I was going. I was like, come on, no doubt. Yeah, we just, uh, uh, it's entertainment, yeah. guys. There were people on Twitter who thought that Jerry thought Ric Flair was dead. I mean, they were just at an autograph signing two days earlier. I mean, come on, people. It's one of those things where Jerry and I could have a, a perfect show for two hours and 59 minutes. But one line that takes up 20 seconds of the show is all people are gonna gonna look at. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. But we both we both enjoy the feedback uh, if it's positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't want the negative stuff. <laughs> right. Stick around. We've got more to come on the Jerry Lawler Show. What's up, Brian Deegan here. I'm excited to bring you our podcast, The Deegans, that will be every Wednesday on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. We'll be covering many subjects such as racing, family, how we stay together, how we thrive as a family. So I think it's exciting. We're going to cover all those subjects and many more. Be sure you guys check out our new podcast, The Deegans, airing every Wednesday on Podcast One and on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. 
Welcome back to the Jerry Lawler Show. So, Vic, you have such an interesting story. You're the same age as me. You had the lifelong dream of being a, a pro wrestling announcer. Uh, you're only 21, too? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, me too. What the heck? That's great. We're all 29. We both grew up at, you know, experiencing the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars at the same age. And uh, another thing that I want to talk with you about is the fact that, my, you know, my favorite things in wrestling are probably Memphis Wrestling and uh, ECW. And ECW has had an influence on your career, from what I've, I've heard. But first off, just this how you were smart enough to know that you had to take kind of a an interesting route to get to this job besides just being a huge wrestling fan and all that tell everybody about this this plan that you concocted and have executed to perfection well i mean i wouldn't say i've executed to perfection but I, yeah i've started it's been a, hang on now <laughs> <laughs> it's checks in the mail it's it's been a um it, it's been a journey because you know i think when everyone grows up you know, as as kids, we all have our favorite team. I wanted to be Bernie Kosar. You know, going back to the Cleveland Browns, I used to throw the football sidearm. You know, when I was in middle school, and the <laughs> coach said, if you keep throwing the football sidearm, you're going to have shoulder problems. And uh, I, I used to wear 19. I tried to petition the NCAA when I was in college to allow me to wear 19 as a basketball uniform, and they wouldn't allow me to, so I had to wear 12. But I knew early on that I wanted to be a part of sports, and I, and I fell in love with wrestling at the time, WWF. In the in in the early 90s, and knew that man, this is the coolest thing. And what got me hooked um, was one of Jerry Lawler's greatest rivals, Bret the Hitman Hart, uh, was the WWF champion at the time, and he always gave a pair of his sunglasses to a young fan. I happened to be the young fan one night at the very first show my father ever took me to in oh, the Richfield wow. Coliseum. Destiny. And I still have those. I still have those glasses. Um, I'm actually looking at them. They're in my shadow box down here. Uh, in my uh, arcade. So that really hooked me, but that was like one of those uh, bucket list items was to get to the WWE. But I knew that if I was going to, I had to go, no one's, you can't, King, it's not as easy as you get out of college as a, as a college DJ with a communications degree. You just send employment to the WWE and they go, oh yeah, this kid did college radio. Let's bring him up. Right. And it, no, it doesn't it's work not that, that easy. <laughs> no. I got a, I got a lot of lucky breaks. And I've been able to meet so many, uh, you know, amazing people, including my brother, which King ties back into your share story that we'll get to at some point or my share story at some point that I, I knew that I needed to go a separate route. So I was lucky enough to be a part of the Cincinnati Reds and be affiliated with them for a few years. I went to CBS Sports and I had a talk show and I did updates and I wrote and I produced and I covered uh, all sorts of games and four NBA finals for the Cavaliers, the the NFL for a number of seasons. I was on the Cleveland Browns network um, for four seasons as well. Yeah, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to do that. That had to be the first time you got a job working for or with the Cleveland Browns. That had to be the highlight of your life up to that point. Right. At that point, I didn't think it would get any better because at that point in my life, to your point, King, my dream was to be in sports radio covering and in sports broadcasting, I should say, and make it back to my hometown. And then you talk about covering the Cavs championship win, being at the championship parade, covering the finals that year, the Browns, the World Series for the Indians, doing the Summer Olympics. I mean, there were all sorts of, of things that I was just checking off my list rather quickly but the whole time it was to build a resume to send to the wwe to get a job did you know that and, and that was same, in the back of your mind that was what you were thinking 
that was in the back of my mind the entire time because December 5th, which is literally right around the corner, right, is my 10-year anniversary in wrestling. The first time I stepped foot working in wrestling was 2009 on December 5th. So while I was doing all these other things, uh, traveling to baseball games or doing radio shows, I was also doing independent wrestling, which is where I met Rhino, which goes back to the ECW conversation. And Rhino would tell me, and I would just ask him questions. I thought I was so annoying. Why are they working this way? Why, why is the camera positioned over there? Why isn't the camera looking at the state? Like all these different things that I was trying to pick up in etiquette. And my big thing, which came from him and also Tommy Dreamer, is respect. And I think that's something that maybe a few people kind of overlook these days is the respect factor. And it's not just going up and saying hi. It's moving my bag out of the way so that there's an open seat, not taking a seat in the locker room if there's not enough seats for uh, someone like Mark Henry that might sit in, in our locker room or Booker T, you know, two Hall of Famers. They shouldn't have to stand. They shouldn't have to put their stuff on a table. They should be given a locker. They've earned that at the very least. Well, wait so, a minute. I'm, hang I'm on a second. Hang on a second. What? Don't I yell at a, me. I, 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 I always <laughs> offer you the front seat of the car. <laughs> no, that's exactly what I was going to call you out on. Look, after Chicago, we're standing out in the cold. We're waiting on a ride back to the hotel. And then, thank goodness, go. Byron, Byron Saxon <laughs> comes out. And he has an SUV, which, by the way, he's a slob in that car. And he, but anyway, he has an SUV, and he says, okay, you guys can ride to the hotel with me. So, naturally, here's here's four of us, and, and I'm thinking – you know, Vic is Vic is freakishly tall, and but and so he's like, what are you six foot five? So, uh, six four, six four, six four. Yeah, he's almost six five, I'm sure. But anyway, he's he's a tall guy. High so, heels, I'm six six. So I said, uh, Vic, you go ahead. You you need the leg room. You sit in the front seat. I'll cram myself back in this little back seat back here. No, I even moved <laughs> the seat up, King. <laughs> oh, he moved the seat up. Okay, there you go. But uh, that just tells I'm, everybody. I, I, he took oh the front my seat. Gosh, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I said, do you want I'm the kidding. front seat? He said, no. I even moved it up, and you yelled at me. No, scoot back. I'm good. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, no. you just threw a wrench into my story. I was I was I'm rolling sorry. at this point with good memories. <laughs> but no, so respecting. So I would go on the weekends. Uh, Rhino would say, hey, I'm in Philly, New York, and Baltimore doing A, B, and C. I would fly myself to Philly, jump in a car with him, and drive the loop with him, help him pay for everything. And I never got, you know, reimbursed because we were doing indie shows. And that's how I learned some of the wrestling industry do and do and don'ts. So that I was a little bit more quote unquote cultured when I would get into the locker room. But while you do that, you also make connections. Uh, Tommy Dreamer had the the company called uh, and still does House of Hardcore, and he told me in his kitchen. The day of the first show, you want to voice the show? And I was blown away. That helped put me on the map because then I was calling shows with a lot of talent that either was on their way to the WWE or had just come from the WWE. And they would tell me what they liked, what they didn't like, because they'd watch their stuff back. And so I was able to formulate my own ideas, make those connections, have the resume built up of, you know, NFL, NBA, that sort of thing, CBS Sports, so that when I was ready... I would, and I got the phone call, then it would happen. And it wasn't like I just sent something in one day and it happened. I was sending stuff to Michael Cole for a few years. <laughs> and sometimes he replied, sometimes he didn't. And then he uh, finally replied with, uh, we'd like to interview you. I did the interview. I did the tryout. And then January 7th, 
of 2017, I moved down to Orlando from Cleveland, and I joined NXT. And that May, I did main event. I was told, King, and you might get a chuckle out of this, I was told, uh, hey, if you're any good, maybe in six or seven months, you'll do 205 Live. (laughs) And the next day, I was told, uh, hey, by the way, starting next week, you're doing 205 Live. (laughs) So it happened rather quickly. And then I did my first uh, pay-per-view six months to the day that I signed my contract and started. July 9th was the uh, first pay-per-view that I ever did on for the Raw brand, which was the infamous Great Balls of Fire pay-per-view. So it's just been ever since, man. And NXT UK too, right? Oh, yeah, and, and NXT UK, which was a whole uh, different story. And, you know, what, what an honor it was for me to do that, you know, to be a part of, you know, Triple H's, you know, other baby, NXT UK, and to be able to work with him and have him produce me and, you know, bounce ideas off of him and Shawn Michaels and what would work and what wouldn't work. And them believing in me when, I, when I'd say, this is what I kind of feel. And they go, go do it and see what happens. And sometimes it was right, sometimes it was wrong. And if it was wrong, this is what you missed. This is what you should have looked for. So I was able to learn, you know, on the fly with, you know, two of the all-time greats for just about a year and and two takeover specials with them to uh, be ready. And, And I never in my wildest dreams would have thought, A, that I'd ever be sitting next to Jerry the King Lawler calling Monday Night Raw, which again was the definitive show of my childhood, but to have done it 34 months after signing my contract there, when you talk about the rise, it's, yeah. it's just been, it's just been a, a break after a break and being given opportunities, not just by, you know, Triple H, but by Michael Cole and to have the trust of Michael Cole. And, and that also includes um, Vince McMahon to, to sit there and, you know, give me feedback after Raw's of what to do better, what not to do, you know, things like that. And and to have King with me has helped me become more comfortable every single Monday. Because King doesn't see me, I pace a lot because I get so nervous. <laughs> I, I used to get nervous doing 205 Live to be a ring announcer, too, down in NXT. And I, I would pace and my throat would start to swell. There's been times King and I have actually been standing in Gorilla and he'd be, well, you all right? And I go, I just have to keep spitting. We were about to do it on camera. They said, okay, stand up, reverse on camera. So we both stand up and we're looking back at the camera right behind our right behind that's right behind the announce desk. And they said mm-hmm. three, two, and all of a sudden Vince goes <clears throat> he just spits right out on the floor. <laughs> what the <laughs> But it, and that's, that's, a nerve, that's a nervous habit or what? I I just get nervous. I it's it, it to me, it, it's me being nervous, but it's because I care. Yeah, you know, this was sure. the show that 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 I watched every single Monday. You know, this is what I've always wanted to be a part of. You know, my overall life goal was just to be a part of one WrestleMania, and I, I got to call WrestleMania um, the Cruiserweight Championship match two years ago. I was a part of it earlier this spring in New York City. What's special to me is I was at the two WrestleManias that were held in those stadiums prior mm-hmm. WrestleMania. 30 and 29 and i would look back to where i was sitting i actually went and sat in those seats you was there you were there as a fan you were there as a fan yeah as a as a fan so you know i i don't know enough i don't think enough people know that it's not just some guy that is sitting next to jerry the king lawler or just some guy they got hired this has been a lifelong goal and dream and it's something that means more to me than i could probably ever fully Describe on a podcast 
or in an article or in an interview. And every week I go out there and try to do my best. And I'm not just going through the motions. I genuinely care and, and want to make sure it's a good show, not just for the locker room, not just for the writers and the producers. I don't ever want to embarrass King, um, who's sitting next to me, but I, I want to make it great for the fans because I, I, I am a fan. Just like Jerry talked about earlier, he is a fan. So am I. It, it, it's just not two guys going through the motions. So what were you doing for the company, and how did you get the word that you were going to be the lead of Raw? Well, at that point, um, I have done a WWE main event, which you can uh, find on Hulu and the WWE Network, uh, 205 Live, uh, NXT UK. I had done live events as a host slash ring announcer down in NXT. I was doing not only the Florida Coco shows, as we call them, but also the NXT Road shows. I did... Um, the raw branded live events. There was, I think the first year I was with the company, I did close to 200 live events and TV days. And I had never heard of it. I had never Um, heard of it during all this time. And so in in the second year, I think I did just as many and it just, it was, it was doing a lot of stuff and I just always would go down to the performance center and, and work, you know, on my off days, I was sitting in there watching old wrestling matches and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and working with other talents, some that aren't in the company anymore, some that are still there, um, just trying to get better. And as the time went on and we got into September, we knew changes were coming. We knew that SmackDown was going to Fox and we knew Monday Night Raw was going to stay on the USA Network and there was going to be some changes. And Michael Cole pulled me into the hallway, I think maybe like two weeks beforehand, and said, look, this is what we're going to do. You're going to become the new voice of Monday Night Raw. Two weeks what, from the last what, show. What did you do when, when those words came out of his mouth? Did you spit? What did you do? No, I asked, him, I asked him if it was a joke. <laughs> to be honest, I said, I said, is this a rib? And he goes, nope, I'm being dead serious. And I probably got whiter than I already am. And I'm as pasty as pasty gets. So, I, you know, I was... I was pretty pale, and I and I sat back in the seat, and I just thought, man, this could change. And I was always told, King, you know, coming up with with Dreamer and Rhino, that you don't believe anything until it happens. Exactly. And then you don't believe anything until your music plays, and then you still don't believe them until they tell you to go through the curtain. Yep. <laughs> and so, I was standing in gorilla for that first draw, like, is this real? Is this going to happen? And 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 it did, and it just has been uh, it's been crazy. It's been absolutely. Again, I don't know if I could properly put it into words. And one thing I want to thank King for is I have seen Michael Cole get introduced for Raws for about two years. And I never want to not come out with Jerry Lawler because I'm guaranteed to get an ovation <laughs> because of Jerry Lawler. And I always just close my eyes for a second and just wave my hand and go, thank you, guys. You know, but um, so, King, yeah, thank poor, you for that as well. Michael, when he, poor Michael, when he would get introduced by himself. Oh, my goodness. He still has heat from that feud with you seven, eight years ago. Without a doubt, <laughs> a lot of the fans will never get over that. There so I've go. always been, you know, I've always been taken care of. So what was your favorite stuff as a kid that got you hooked? My early memories of really being a regular fan was part of the new generation. So it was Bret Hart, it was Shawn Michaels. Um, the first VHS tape that I ever purchased was the 1995 Royal Rumble, where Shawn Michaels won from the uh, first position. And he was accompanied by Pamela Anderson and at WrestleMania, which turned into, um, which turned into not being Pamela Anderson and, and that whole thing. 
So I, I remember those days. I Wait a minute. What, what, what do you mean it turned into not, not being Pamela Anderson? What happened? Pamela Anderson walked out with, with Diesel. Oh, right. And uh, Jenny McCarthy. Jenny well. McCarthy walked out with Sean. You know, so I remember that. I remember watching Survivor Series. I think it was 1996, and it was Madison Square Garden, and The Rock uh, debuted, and King just happened to be in that match on that night. I remember King teaming with uh, Cheesy, Queasy, and Sleazy <laughs> against uh, Doink. You know, so you know, that was, a great I'm, survivor. I'm that was my favorite there. Survivor Series. And people, that, you know, that was it's, a fun one. It's so funny. A lot of fans these days will say, "Will give me comments like." Oh my gosh! I bet you were so embarrassed to be a part of that and everything. And I thought, what? That was that to me was that was one of the highlights of my WWE career. I loved that match. I loved working with uh, with Doink and those, those guys and my little Kings. It was awesome. You know, it was Doink, Doink, Dink, Pink. I want to say Stink, but maybe that was just the name. No, that was what I called it. That was yeah. My name. So I, I could. It was. So I couldn't remember them all, wink. but um, one of them was Wink. Yeah. Sting and Pink. So you know, I'm in I'm in my arcade and I'm looking at my Hasbro figure collection. <laughs> you know, uh, Yokozuna, the Ultimate Warrior, Jake the Snake, you know, Brett, Sean, uh, Road Warriors, you know, all, all of them. And it just was, those were my early memories. And the, the Bret Hart gave me the glasses we talked about, got me hooked. I was a huge Shawn Michaels fan uh, growing up. Um, the first pay-per-view I went to was SummerSlam when Sean took on Vader. I was also in... Well, at the time was called the Gund Arena, which then became the Q, which now is the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse here in Cleveland. That was the night that Jerry Lawler put on a Ravens jersey. Oh, yeah, I, don't not, remind me yeah, of that. Oh, yeah, he took out, yeah, he, he put on a Ravens jersey. I think you even had a pennant with you. He yep. took on Jake the Snake Roberts yep. on that night. And so those are my memories. Um, I was in the audience when WWE purchased WCW. Um, that happened in Cleveland. No Mercy, which to me is the best wrestling video game ever made. Uh, I was there for the uh, ladder match between Edge and Christian, the Terry Reynolds Invitational Final. Oh boy, the Hardy Boys. So let me go back to one of those one of those memories that uh, when you mentioned it, it jogged my memory because uh, the show that Jenny McCarthy and Pamela Anderson were on, they when they finished escorting the uh, wrestlers to the ring, they came over and like sat side by side. Almost like right beside Vince and I, and I'll be the first to admit I could not keep my eyes on the ring. <laughs> I'm sitting next to Jenny McCarthy and Pamela Anderson, but I also I, re- I remember certain things about about those two and about that show. What was it? Was there a band uh, on that show too? The one that she was uh, the that Pamela Anderson, the guy was in, wasn't that? You think about Tommy, Tommy Lee and, and Molly yeah. Crew? Yeah. I know that one night we had Motley Crew there, and uh, <laughs> and Vince Vince had, they had their own dressing room or whatever, and I'll never forget Vince walked into I guess to go in and greet him and say hello and everything right, and uh, he was in there for maybe ten or ten minutes or so, and all of a sudden Vince comes walking walking out of the door, and and, and he shut the door behind him, and I happened to be standing there, and he looked at me and he said, King, never again. <laughs> I just nah. Vic, help me, uh, a fanboy here. I am, you know, a huge ECW fan. I think we get called mutants, those of us who were uh, hardcore devoted back in the day. So you've had your career shaped by Rhino, by Tommy Dreamer, and now you're working with Paul Heyman. Uh, can you tell me about those guys or anybody else that you've encountered along the way? 
and how they've helped you. ECW was what my brother Charlie was obsessed with. He was ECW. He loved it. I never really followed it as much as he did. I was always a WWE guy. The first show, when I met Rhino, I just sat there and was asking him questions. I mean, I knew who Rhino was. Rhino had a had a great ECW career, was the last ECW heavyweight champion and TV champion, and then, you know, would come to the uh, WWE for the first time. He was the one who really taught me about keeping the car clean, because this is where, you know, we stay, even though he left fish in my car one time, and it, <laughs> I didn't know where it was, and it was in the middle of the summer, and it went seven days to the point where oh, I couldn't even get, open the door, but that's a great we'll save that for a different podcast. Um, oh, it was a good one. He still denies it to this day. But he he helped me, introduced me to Tommy Dreamer. Tommy would uh, bring me down to do his House of Hardcore shows I mentioned. And then when we do them in post, he would describe to me different things and would talk about how Paul Heyman would do ECW television back in the day. And he was kind of doing it in the same mold. And then now to be working with Paul now, it's weird, man. It is such a weird <laughs> thing sometimes for me to look into that room and realize who's in there from Vince McMahon to Paul Heyman to Kurt Angle to um, Michael, you know, Hayes, Freebird himself in the back row to Devon Dudley sitting in there. So it's been fun to work for the WWE because I get, I'm working with my childhood heroes, guys that I watched every single week that I idolized. And well, you, to work let, with Paul. Let me, let me jump in. Let me jump in real quick before yep. you get on to Paul. Uh, but you mentioned Rhino and and a great guy. I, I I love the guy. But I I didn't get a chance to be around Rhino all that much. I don't know him all that well. Just other than the fact that you know I, I know that he's a, a pleasure to be around. But Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer is a guy that I got to know really, really well when we did the ECW stuff and, and, uh, you know, and I was calling it extremely crappy wrestling and everything. But, but Tommy is such a, he's such an under, I, I feel like underappreciated talent. I mean, this guy has done everything and he's done everything well and he continues to do everything. I just saw a tweet from him the other day where, I can't remember. He said some, I don't know, 20 plus years in the business and he was doing some kind of light therapy to his knees. I guess his knees were really sore or something like that. But he's, he's proud of, proud of the fact that after all of the stuff that Tommy Dreamer has been through, he said no surgeries. And that's amazing Correct. for somebody that has had the kind mm -hmm. of a career that Tommy has to have, have. And I think probably there's been times that he probably needed surgery. And I think he probably needs knee surgery now. But he's just that he's just that kind of guy. You know, he's a, he's a tough. He is so freaking tough. It's unbelievable. And I, I love yeah. Tommy. He came down and worked with yeah. us in, in Memphis a lot during during that uh, that ECW run and after it and everything. And he's just a, he's a really good guy. Yeah, he's he's been uh, he he's such a tremendous help for me and um, my, my fun Tommy Dreamer story was watching him devour I think like forty seven or forty eight White Castle burgers <laughs> and then washed it down with two chicken waffle burgers also from White Castle while we were sitting in Rhino's house and Rhino was yelling at us for not having our pant legs rolled up and we were dragging dirt across the floor that he had just cleaned <laughs> but no those guys helped shape my career and now. To see the, the, the fact that working with Paul Heyman every single week on Raw, he is shaping the next phase of my career. It is safe to say that 
ECW has had a um, huge impact, uh, quote unquote, on my career since I've been in the WWE. Yeah, you know, that's one thing, like you mentioned, Paul, when when I watch him behind the scenes up there now, he's got that certain mentality. And all, all people don't have it. I'm not good at that kind of mentality. I'm not, uh, The mentality that I'm talking about is he enjoys being, uh, like you said, a teacher. He enjoys imparting his wisdom and, and what he thinks young people should do and young guys should do and in, in the business and that sort of thing. And, and you know, you see him every week pulling somebody to the, to the side and, uh, and, and, and just, you know, giving him his insights on stuff. And, uh, like I said, I'm, I, I've never been that. I mean, that's a unique personality trait when somebody can, can do something like that. And I think he's, uh, I think he's making a big difference with the, with the talent there on raw. Yeah. I've loved, I've loved working with him every week and he's even, you know, raised my stock as a play by play announcer as to, what I need to do, what I need to feel, and, and the emotions that I need to draw out of, of people with what I'm saying. So I, I can't say enough about, you know, Paul and, and, and Tommy and, and Rhino as well. We'll be back in a moment on The Jerry Lawler Show. You're listening to The Jerry Lawler Show. Thanks for joining us. Now, Jerry, we saw perhaps a little bit of an extra edge this week, people noticed on commentary. Is this something that we should expect moving forward? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was so much fun. I don't know. I, I, that's another part of the thing that I really never that I never thought about, like being uh, the devil's advocate of back when, um, you know, when I first started with doing JR. And of course, when I first came and started doing commentary, I came into the WWE just as a total heel. Like, uh, you know, like Vic was saying, I came in working with the top, the top, uh, babyface at the time and, and Brett the Hitman Hart. And so then when I got put out on commentary, Vince McMahon was the straight guy. You know, he was the, he was the play by play guy. And I was just out there as a total heel. And that was so much fun. I mean, you know, just, I mean, and then back in that time, you can literally say and get away with everything uh, or anything. Now it's it's so different. It's really it's really tough because you have to, uh, Vic. You know this. You really have to put a lot of thought into almost instantaneously everything that you say uh, is under the microscope nowadays. And every, because everybody out there is trying to be a critic, and everybody now has a voice through the you know social media that they can have their voice heard and they can, they can be a critic. They can, they can make a difference by, by saying things. So you have to be so careful about what you say uh, and how you say it. And, so, you know, sometimes I mean, we just, we just, uh, we just went through a deal with hearing about Jim Cornette. You know, he said something on, on a broadcast that he said a million times, a mi not a million, but he said before on broadcast and people thought in the past that that was so funny. And now all of a sudden he says something and next thing you know, he's, he's off the air. So, you know, you have to, you have to think about things like that. But for me, it's always been easier to be the, I hate to use the, you know, terms heel and baby face and that kind of thing. I just, I don't know. It's, that's the old school in, in me and everything. So I, I always would, to fans, I would say, well, I like to play the devil's advocate. You know, I'm, I take the other side when when Jr. or Michael Cole were saying things. But that has always come more natural to me to be the kind of the arrogant, the cocky, uh, somebody that would insult somebody. So and and it came, it came about, you know, I think I think everybody realizes that, you know, that that Vince is at every 
you know, every Monday night raw and, and he is closely watching everything that goes on. And he is, if he, if he thinks that he needs to tell you something, he can get in our ear and tell us things. And, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say a little bit of what happened. It was after the segment where, where Lana, you know, they would, they had just threw the, knocked the Rusev and knocked the big trust down onto Bobby Lashley. And Lana was standing there crying. And I think Vic and I both were, we took Rusev's side, both of us. And we, and we were, you know, we were saying, man, how low can Bobby Lashley and how low can Lana go? And during the commercial break, Vince comes in and says, Hey guys, you know, Lana may have a side in this too. Anybody think about, you know, taking Lana's side. And to me, that just like a light bulb went off over my head. And I thought, man, this could get, yeah, that's great. This is, this, this gives, gives me the opening to, uh, to be the devil's advocate. Let me take Lana's side on this thing. I just, I just started doing that the rest of the show. And it just, it just came out to be so natural. And, and it, I, I think it got better and, and better as the show went along. And, you know, the first thing you see on Twitter is people saying, Oh, the heel king is back. I love the heel king. And, 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 and that's because that's entertaining. You know, if you just got two guys out there that are saying the same thing, you really don't need one of them. So I just, you know, I always enjoyed putting in the, the uh, snide remarks and that sort of thing. And so I, I felt like that kind of opened the door and I'm going to, I'm going to run with it. And I think it's going to get better for us too, because as you guys will see out over the next, you know, several weeks or, or so, you know, things are going to get a little different on the commentary team. And, and I think that's going to play a big, a big role in it from King and, and King is a hundred percent right. And I'm not where I need to be in, in, in my career be able to fight King back. I mean, what do I, you know, what am I going to be able to say that's be like, yeah, Vic's right, King's wrong. No, no one's going to side with Vic Joseph. And so I would, they're going to side with Jerry the King Lawler. So in a few weeks, so things might be a little bit uh, different, a little bit more fun. But yeah, it was, it was fun to have a different wrinkle of uh, Jerry this past Monday. I enjoyed it. And I want to thank you, Sean. One of the first, one of the first comments you shot me a, after, right after that segment, you shot me a tweet that said, you're on fire. No, a, a, a message, a instant message. You said, you're on fire tonight, King. And that was, you know, that was, uh, that made me feel good. And it's just like, you know, I'm thinking if you're thinking that, hopefully a lot of the other fans that are watching think that too, you know. Well, I mean, that's just, you know, I'm such a huge fan of, of the Memphis days and of how you used to torture Lance. And I know that, um, it's just, I know that's what you enjoy kind of the most and what you're great at. I mean, what is it? Is it just that you're allowed to say stuff that you can't say in real life? Why is it so fun? That's what people don't know. I do say that stuff in real life. That's what I mean. <laughs> that's really me that's coming out there now. Oh, that's good stuff. We have a, a, a share story we have to get to before signing off here, I was told. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. What is your share story, Vic? So, King, you know, you've, you've made, you know, you've been able to meet so many, you know, wonderful people that I, I would have loved to have met. And, and one of the things growing up for me was my brother was always in music. Uh, my uncle, Kid Leo, was one of the top DJs in the world. He helped really spring Bruce Springsteen and Pat Benatar and a, pu- a couple people in the mainstream. King, he's, he's, he is the main reason that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland. So I decided to borrow. Borrow is the key word here, guys. Borrow. My mm-hmm. mom's brand new Lincoln when I was 17. I just turned 17. And I took it for a nice little joy ride, and I got it back into the uh, garage, and I broke the garage door. And uh, the garage door broke. My mom came home as the garage door broke, told her a story. She went out, felt the car was a little bit warm, <laughs> and she she absolutely lost it. Uh, she was just screaming at me. I mean, she she had a mom. 
moment. And mm-hmm. she called my brother Chris, who at the time was on tour with Cher as her accountant for the tour. And the message went something like, you better get your brother out of the house or you're going to have one less brother. Was, Ooh, okay. Wow. Next day, I was on a plane to Oakland, California, the Oracle Arena, and I joined the Cher farewell tour as wow. her coat jacket carrier which I carried her big coat through her chandelier because I was the only one tall enough where I wouldn't drag on the floor. And I used to run under the ring during, or run under the ring, I'm thinking wrestling, <laughs> run under the stage during turn back time and would have to get her cooler of her water and run it out of the stage for bus and then fill her tour bus, her refrigerator, with her Fiji water. <laughs> and that was my job for two summers. That was my summer job in high school was being on tour with Cher. Doing all of those things that you mentioned, did you have actual contact with Cher? Yeah, she used to call me Stretch because I was 6'4", <laughs> my brother was 5'11". <laughs> Stretch, I love and, it. Um, That's your yeah, new nickname on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I walked right into that one. All right, <laughs> she used to call me Stretch, and then I was one of like nine people that was on her list to get into her locker room. So I'd wow. go in there and, and, and just say hi and, and whatever because she was very friendly. People don't know. I always thought she was tall. She's like 5'5". Yeah. Five, five. Oh, my and gosh. Sonny must, must have been like a dwarf. That's what my dad said. I go, oh, yeah, Dad, here's me and Sharon. He goes, you're like a foot taller than she is. I go, yeah. He goes, well, then how, how, how tall was Sonny? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> and so uh, he, was, he was laughing at that. And my dad always would always ask me if I ever went into her wig room because she has a wig room for all of her hairs. Yeah. I said, yeah, every now and again, I go in there. So I used to go in and, like, turn them around and, and like, mess with them a little bit, which I uh, would just <laughs> set her people off. Um, and I always thought it was funny, but he would always be like, hey, you know, if she just has, like, a, a T-shirt laying around or something, would you uh, would you mind snagging that for me? I go, no, that's creepy, Dad. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, if just something happens, you know, if something happens, you know, fall wait, out, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, wait a minute. You thought stealing a T-shirt for your dad would be creepy, but you didn't mind going in a wig room and sit there and play with her hair, right? No, no, no. I was messing with the other people, turning their wigs oh. around. I wasn't like oh, like, I wasn't like trying them on, walking around, you know, <laughs> blowing kisses to myself in a mirror, you know, things like that. But no, my dad wanted like an actual article for her personal clothing, not like a shared sure. tour shirt, like her yeah. undershirt. Oh, I see. You know, so. I was like, nah, Dad, that's a little, that's a little weird. So that, that was two summers of my life was spent that on the road, really cool. on tour at 17 and 18, doing doing the share tour. Not too many 17-year-old, 18-year-olds were coming back, you know, for their senior year. How was your summer vacation? Eh, the teacher yeah. didn't believe me. Right. I wrote a whole paper on and, it. She didn't believe and you, me. And you say she was really, she was, at least to you, she seemed really nice? She was amazing, and I, I wish I had more gusto to ask her about Gene Simmons at the time, because I would oh, love to have had a Gene Simmons story. They dated. Oh, that's right. Gene, yeah, Gene Simmons and Cher dated. Well, that was, was so that I wish she was with Shannon or what? It had to have been. I just remember the like, uh, watching some Kiss documentaries about Gene Simmons and Cher were like on the cover of People. Like when Kiss ruled the world, which was like a VH1 yeah. documentary a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go, God, I wish I'd have known all this because I would have loved to have asked her. But yeah, that, that's my fun little share story. Well, that is a cool story. Oh, that's not a bad summer job, King. Yeah, well, I'm the greatest thing I got out of that is from now on, you are stretched to me. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Can't wait to explain that one to, you know, Vince during a commercial break. Why do you keep calling stretched? Right. Well, here, let me tell you the story, Vince. Yeah, exactly. Either or. We got through Survivor Series, which was a little bit strange. We only got to really do one match together. I mean, as Mm -hmm. as 
team out there. How how much are you looking forward to? I mean, we are really right on the road to WrestleMania. It's going to be here before you know it. I'm pumped, King, to be honest. It's so pumped that I already have the uh, gentleman who's making my tuxedo putting it together. Might be jumping the gun a little bit, but I'm really, really you're excited having, you're for having it. A custom made t- you're having a tuxedo made? Yes. I can't wait for everyone to see it. It's going to have a very special nod to the city of Cleveland Oh boy. Uh, and, okay. and the tuxedo. <laughs> and so this is really, to me, my first you know, WrestleMania. I, I've been on the pre-show, but now to be on the show, might even have an opportunity to call the WrestleMania main event. That will be the biggest day of my career. It will be April the 5th in Tampa. And right now, we're already staring down the barrel, King, of, of tables, ladders, and chairs. That's coming up right, in right. just a couple of weeks. And then right after that, it's the Royal Rumble. And then you're you know, your kickstarting the road to WrestleMania. Yeah. Well, all right. This, is, this has absolutely been a lot of fun. But it's about time well, to I end. I appreciate it, King. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, King. And, uh, Sean, thank you guys so much for your time and allowing me to come on and talk to a, a bigger audience that now hopefully gets to understand who I am and, and who, who, who exactly what makes me tick when they watch me on uh, Monday Night Raw. All right. Thanks so much to Vic for joining us. Hopefully uh, everybody learned about him. Yeah, absolutely. I learned. I enjoyed this uh, podcast probably more than anybody that's listening out there because it's great. I learned a whole lot about my partner now. It's great. Stretch. You know my partner, Stretch. Stretch. Yeah, you stretch going forward. Now that you got this edge, you can really uh, take advantage of that. Yeah, you're right. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to everybody who's listening during that time. Be safe. Have fun with the families. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. Yes, sir. See you then. An autopsy not only reveals how a person died, but how they lived. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. If you like what you're hearing, check out more dark mysteries on your TV on Reels channel. There are shocking real life and death stories in world's most evil killers, like the quiet neighbor nicknamed the Scorpion after he bludgeoned nine women to death with a hammer. And Rodney Alcala, the serial murderer best known as the dating game killer. Then check out the latest episodes of Autopsy that reveal what really killed screen and music legends like Walt Disney, Tom Petty, David Cassidy, and Batman's Adam West. You can find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area. 